It's a difficult place to preach, I just got to tell you. It's a difficult place for you to sit. It's a difficult place to preach. And so uh, we just have to work through these days. I'm guessing if you're anything like me, you're getting a little tired of this whole thing. Okay? What else are you going to do? <laughs> just keep going. It's all you can do. And uh, what it behooves us to do is to make sure that the church thrives and our relationship with the Lord Jesus thrives during this time. And that is possible no matter what's going on. And I know it's a little weary, uh, all that's going on, and every morning you wake up and wonder, what are they going to tell us now? Uh, just work on your relationship with the Lord. Let's make sure this church stays solid for Him, and in the end result, we'll be all right. But I do appreciate your faithfulness. We're in the book of Amos. This morning's message is basically, did I get this thing turned on? Is basically a combination of two messages that have already been preached. I don't think I, they can properly be termed as reruns because one of them was preached over 100 years ago and the other one was preached about 2,800 years ago. So I don't think I'm in any danger of copyright infringement on the messages, but it's really a combination of those two. And the introduction this morning is rather long. And I want to pray after I finish the introduction. But I don't want to get started here without a prepared heart. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray in a little bit after the introduction. But we're going to take a moment here, and I'm going to pray that the Lord, I'm going to pray silently that the Lord will prepare my heart. And I want you to do the exact same thing. I want you to talk with the Lord specifically about working in your own heart. So that we go into this thing prepared. I'll pray out loud in a little bit here. But let's go into, at least into their introduction with a prepared heart. Amen. The book of Amos is one of the minor prophets. And as a rule, the minor prophets are a little difficult to read. They are messages to, generally to Israel, and they were message given at a specific time, for a specific time with a specific purpose in a specific place. Amos preached this message somewhere around 70, 750 B.C., Israel had evidently been prospering, and as so often is the case, if you notice this, how often this is the case, when a, when a nation or an organization or even an individual starts to prosper, they start oftentimes to start slipping away from the Lord who prospered them. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing? But it happens all the time. A nation prospers, the Lord prospers the nation, or an organization or even an individual, and uh, the prosperity causes us to leave the one who's prospering us. This is what was happening. Corruption and injustice and idolatry were running rampant in Israel, and Amos is sent with this message. The message is fairly long, and we'll just read just a little bit of a section of this morning in Amos chapter number 5. This is part of the message that Amos is sent to preach to Israel. He 
Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, The city that went out by a thousand shall leave a hundred, and that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not into Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Ye who turn judgment to wormwood, and leave off righteousness in the earth, seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into morning, and maketh the day dark with night, and calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. In this portion of Amos' message, He's saying, Israel is going to be ruined. In verse number three, he says, where there was a thousand, there's only going to be a hundred. And where there was a hundred, there's only going to be ten. Now, this could be referring to the population of the city in general, or it could be a, the quota that they, the, of soldiers that each city was required to send out to war. Either way, it's devastating. Can you imagine? from going to 1,000 to 100, or from 100 to 10. Right now, the entire world is at a standstill. If you remember back in the early days when this thing came to a standstill, the predicted devastation of the population was 3 or 4%. And we have come to a complete standstill because that's what the predicted, and it hasn't been that, but that's what they were predicting could be, 3 or 4%. In the Civil War, some of the battles had a casualty rate of between 5 and 10%, and those battles were considered bloodbaths. And here, Israel is being confronted with a death rate of 90%. If you had a, can you imagine, what would, think about what Des Moines would look like if 90% of the population was either dead or carried off. Think about what that would look like if 90% of the people were gone. It's scary. And that's what Amos is prophesying. You had 100, you're going to be down to 10. You had 1,000, you're going to be down to 100. In verse number 5, he tells them, hey, don't bother going to Bethel, to Gilgal, or Beersheba. Those are all places of idol worship. And Amos is saying, don't bother going to pray to those idols. They are not going to be able to save you from what is coming. In verse number seven, wormwood is, is what he mentions. That's a, a symbol of bitterness. And he says, your judgment, your justice is bitter words. In other words, the kind of justice you have leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. Righteousness has been deserted. Amos' message is hard. It's 
disappointed. You're in trouble. You have forsaken the Lord. You've replaced him with idols. You are living a life that is not pleasing with it, to him. And judgment is just about to fall. That's the message that he brings. It's a very hard message. But it's not hopeless. It's really actually a call to repent. For them to turn back. Look at verse number 4. The last part of verse number 4. Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Look at number 6. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Look at verse number 8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, and calleth the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. In verse number 8, Amos lists some of the constellations and says, instead of going to the idols there in Bethel, why don't you go to the one who spoke all of the, the heavens into existence? Put yourself back in this time period. You're a shepherd out in the middle of the, the desert there looking up in the night sky. No real lights around to block the sky. And you're looking up, counting the stars. Remember when you did that as a kid? You'd look up and you'd count the stars. And the shepherd living 3,000 years ago looked up and he counted the stars. And how many could he count? I don't know, a thousand maybe he might be able to count, seeing with his eye. And he looked up in awe of the, this magnificent creation of outer space as he counts these thousand stars. Now, how much more should we be in awe? With the use of telescopes and satellites, we know that there aren't just a thousand stars, but there are over a billion galaxies. <laughs> how much more should we be in awe? Here's a shepherd who's in awe of God, seeing his thousand stars, and we know there are billions of galaxies. And Amos says, why would you trust that idol when you can go to the one who spoke that into existence? Amos says, don't bother going to the idols that are sitting on the ground at Bethel. Look to the God who spoke the stars. Why go to the idols in Gilgal when you can go to God who makes the earth revolve? He gives us day and night. Why go to Beersheba and pray to some carved piece of wood or stone when you can go to the one who makes it rain? It's a hard message. But it's not hopeless. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. This is a historical message given specifically to the Jews around 2,800 years ago. But its principle is also for us and worthy of our consideration this morning. The title, if you haven't caught it already. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Title this morning, Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Let's pray now. Father, you know where we need to get each individually, and all collectively together, none of us could move one iota 
But your spirit, because of your grace and what the Lord Jesus already purchased for us, can take each of us where we needed to go and change us the way that we need to change and speak in our hearts where we need to be spoken to. Lord, break through any outer crust that might have uh, been put in place and cut clear to the depths of the very fabric of our being. For we desire our lives to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and to live as you'd have us to live. For we ask this name, this prayer, and these things in the name of our precious Savior. Amen. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Now this statement is a conditional promise. The first half of it is the condition. The second half of it is this is what will happen if the condition is met. In other words, don't expect the promise if the condition isn't met. Do expect the promise if the condition is met. If we want to break it all the way down. If you seek the Lord, then you should expect to live. And if you don't seek the Lord... You should not expect to live. That's a pretty important statement, is it not? If you don't seek the Lord, then you should not expect to live. If you do seek the Lord, then you should expect to live. Now let's look at the promise part of this first, which is, ye shall live. I like to go to garage sales. When I go to a garage sale, I can walk in there, you know, I don't care what stuff is priced until I've looked at it. I look around at the garage sales, and it, if I see oh, there's all this junk, I don't want it. I don't even care what it is, price it is, because I don't want it. It's only the items that I'm interested in that I want to know the price of. You understand? Free boxes at the garage sale bother me. Now, I never overlook the free boxes, because two times in the last five years, four years, I have sold something for over $100 a piece that I took out of the free box. So I never despise the free box. But I don't take anything out of that free box because it's free. If I want it, I'm willing to pay for it. Right? And I'm not going to take your junk just because it's free. The price is not material. Does it make sense? First of all, I've got to know that I want the thing. Then I'll see if it's worth what you want me to pay for it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? In, a, in, the, in the real world, that makes sense. Okay, here we have a conditional promise. Let's make sure we want the promise before we have to consider what it's going to cost us to get it. So let's look at the last half, the, the promise, and we'll look at the conditions later. Because what's the use? If it's free, you may not even want it. If you really want it, you might be willing to pay more for it than what you thought. So let's look at the condition or the promise first. And the promise is. Ye shall live. That's the promise. Ye shall live. So what does it mean? Well, I think of four things that we can put to this. You will, number one, actually live. You will actually live. As opposed to actually dying, you will actually live. I don't think it's any secret to anybody in this room that sin actually leads to death. If you don't believe that, then pick up your newspaper and start reading through it. 
and find out how many people who died in that newspaper, other than the obituary column, find out how many people actually died in that, in that newspaper with something that was a re- direct result of their involvement in sin. It will be an extremely high percentage of people. A drug overdose, they were killed while committing a crime, there were crimes of passion, there were gang wars, just to name a few. Sin leads to death. And people who pursue sin very often are killed in it. Sin also kills indirectly. Before the days of Obamacare, do you remember those days? When you went to get health insurance, you had to fill out paperwork. And you had to give your health history so they could decide whether they would take you or not. In the the plan that Carol and I are in, we every year have to fill out this paperwork, our health history, and we have to fill out and actually everybody in this thing has to have their pastor sign that we are not participating in this list of activities. Why would they require that? Because they know that certain sins lead to sickness and death. And they don't want to cover those people because it makes it too expensive. We all understand that sin kills and it indirectly kills. Sin has effect on us physically. You ever seen some woman walking through the Walmart? She's 35, but she looks 55. And you say, boy, that woman's lived a hard life. Now, what do you mean? Do you mean that she got up early and she's been working really hard to make her happy home? (laughs) That ain't what you mean at all. What you mean is, boy, she's been sowing some wild oats and those things have taken a month. (laughs) They've grown on her face is what's happened. Those oats are showing right up. She has lived a hard life. Why? Because sin has an effect on us Physically, sin leads to death. If you, even if you did not actually participate in any of the evil yourself, most of us would put ourselves in that category. We do not participate in those sins that lead us to dir- directly into death. So that would put most of us in that category. But do you realize... Even if you don't participate in any of those things, it would lead to death. You're aware of the fact that you live in a world that's full of evil, right? That's not news to you, is it? You live in a sin-cursed world filled with evil people. And there are millions of ways to die on this planet just as a bystander. I think it was Dad that was telling me one time, he was talking to a guy at the mission... And they were talking back and forth, and the guy said to Dad, you're a nice guy, and I like you and all that. But if I'm on the outs, and I need drugs, and I know you've got money, I'll kill you to get it. You realize the world is filled with people like that, right? That you're rubbing shoulders with every day, you have no clue. You realize the world that we live in is wicked, full of dark, sinister people who would do, consider it nothing to take your life. How easy would it be? to get killed on the highway. You realize cars are going 55 miles an hour, combined speed of 110. They're four feet apart from you. And some of those people are drunk. 
and some of them are teenagers who are texting on their phones, and all it would take is just a small jar, and you meet head-on 110 miles an hour. And this happens 500 to 1,000 times every day on your, in your life as you drive down the road. Some of you more than that. You realize that we live in a dangerous place, right? This would be very easy to be killed just as a bystander. When you add up all the random accidents that take place, natural disasters and fires and fluke circumstances, sin leads to death, and we live on a planet totally cursed by sin. Now, something has always puzzled me. No, this may not puzzle you, but this has always puzzled me. I can understand, potentially, a bartender who uses the Lord's name in vain. Okay, I can understand that. I could maybe understand a carpenter who uses the Lord's name in vain. I can understand maybe even a politician who uses the Lord's name in vain. I don't agree with it, but I could, I could partially understand that. One thing I've never been able to understand that boggles my mind is a farmer who uses the Lord's name in vain. Now, a farmer, his entire job, now a bartender could maybe ten, could tend bar without God helping him, right? But a farmer, every piece of equipment, all the land that he has, every piece of work that he does, every minute he spends working is dependent on one thing, right? It's called rain. If he doesn't have rain, all that he does is done. And it's always been a boggle of, in my mind that a farmer who is so dependent on the rain would curse the Lord and use his name in vain. That's always boggled my mind. It seems to me like the height of presumption. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It seems like the height of presumption for a farmer to use the Lord's name in vain when he's dependent on the God for rain uh, to make his, even his daily sustenance go. Now, consider this. For you to be on planet Earth... This sin-cursed planet that is dominated by evil. For you to live without the protecting hand of God. And think that you can be safe without the protecting hand of God is presumption. Absolute presumption. Far more presumptuous than the farmer who says, I'm going to curse the Lord and still expect it to rain. For any of us to live on this planet and expect to live when we're surrounded by the evil we're surrounded by, without the protecting hand of God, is living in presumption. You have one hope of protection on this planet. The almighty hand of God. And to think that you can ignore him and remain safe is the height, and I mean the height, the presumption. The fact of the matter is, if you don't seek the Lord, then you should not expect to live. That is the reality of the place where we live. If you do not seek the Lord, then you should not expect to live. The promise is, seek the Lord and ye shall live. What does that mean? Well, it means you could actually live. Number two, it'll mean you really live. It means you actually live, means you really live. 
If you define living as the act of taking oxygen into your system and out of your lungs like that all day long so that you can think and move and feel, if that's your definition of living, then by the grace and mercy of God, you may be able to live your three score and ten or five reason of strength four score on planet Earth, 70 or 80 years. You may, that may be the extent. You may be able to do that because of the grace and mercy of God. Look around you. This is taking place all over the place. People are just surviving on the planet. They are going through the motions. Trying to make themselves happy and never really succeeding. Have you ever seen someone and heard the situation of the life that they live? And after you heard how they're living, you say, man, that is no way to live. Have you ever thought that, heard that? Man, that is no way to live. What are you saying? What you're saying is that person has a life, they're existing on the planet, but that is not a life that is worth living. My friend, that is the sum total of humanity. They basically all, the sum total of humanity, fall into that category. Even the most respected and successful human beings find their achievements hollow victories. The world looks at the rich and famous, do they not? And say, that's the pinnacle, that's the prize, to be rich and famous. But the rich never find enough to satisfy themselves. And the famous, I think this is so ironic. What does a famous person do? A famous person hires people to help him live like you do. He hires people to keep everybody away from him. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing ever? You work for fame and then hire people to keep you away from the people away from you. This is the ridiculousness of life. It is no way to live. By the mercy of God, you may be allowed to breathe oxygen on the planet for 80 years, but it won't be a life that was worth living. Only God can give you a life that's worth living. It's been proven a million times in history that only God gives a life worth living. David probably said it best in Psalm 69, The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. Psalm 16, Psalm, yeah, Psalm 16, 11, In his presence is fullness of joy. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Ye shall live. You'll actually live. You'll, you'll really live. Number three, you will let Christ live. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. You will let Christ live. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the true purpose for us on this planet is to let Christ live through us. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's plan for each one of us is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ.
That's your true purpose here on the planet, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and to allow His life to live through you. It is the plan of God. It is the purpose of God. Now, do you think that you can meet that plan of God or that purpose of God on your own? Do you think that you can conform yourself to the image of the Lord Jesus? Now, if you think so, you are sadly mistaken. You may put up some kind of imitation of the Lord Jesus and call it good, but it'll be pathetic. But if you want to actually have Christ living through you, you're going to have to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Actually live, really live. Let Christ live through you. And four, live eternally. Now this is basic Bible 101, and I'm not telling anything to anybody sitting in this room. Maybe if you're watching live stream, but I'm not telling anything to anybody in this room. There is no heaven apart from the Lord. So many people are trying to earn their way to heaven to try to deserve eternal life. But it doesn't work that way. It is impossible to earn heaven. You cannot meet the standard of perfection no matter how hard you try. First of all, you've already blown it. You've all, look at your past. It's already tainted. But if somehow you could manage to get a clean slate, that's what a lot of people are asking for. Just give me a clean slate, God, and let me start again. If you got a clean slate, how long would your slate stay clean? It would not take very long until you had a messy slate just like you already have. It doesn't work that way. There is no eternal life without Jesus Christ. It is perfectly clear in the Scriptures. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is no eternal life without Jesus Christ. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Actually live. Really live. Let Christ live through you and live eternally. Let me ask you, do you want that life? It's a legitimate question. Do you want that life? A life that is under the protective hand of God. A life that is worth living. A life that brings glory to Jesus Christ. And a life with God forever. Do you want that life? Now, there may be somebody today who doesn't want any part of that life. There may be somebody sitting in this room who says, no, I'm not interested. Maybe somebody watching the live stream says, no, I'm not interested. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you if you don't want that life. I do shudder to think that any person who names the name of Jesus Christ would say, I'm not interested. Something is wrong with a believer who would try to claim eternal life and just let all the other facets of the Christian life go. There's something wrong there. And I shudder to think that someone might say that. In the breast, in the heart of the true believer, 
the Spirit cries out for the life that God offers. You want that life. In the heart of a true believer, it cries out for that. We want to live. So if you decide, that's the life I want, that's when you pick the thing up and say, I wonder what it costs. I'd like to have that life. I don't want to just leave it there. I, this is accessible. I, can I afford this? What does this cost? So what is the price? Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Seek the Lord. That is the condition. The promise is ye shall live. The condition is seek the Lord. Now what does that mean? You know, very often we give this a half-hearted answer. And in return for that, we get a half-hearted life. But if you followed me this far, let's put a very fine point on this this morning. I read a lot. I have a lot of books going at the same time. I have books in my office at home. I have books in my office at, here at the church. And I have stacks of them, and I pick them up and read them as I feel like the Lord wants me to, and I just keep reading from where I'm at. So I've got probably a half dozen or better books going at this moment. I have one in my office that I, I've read it a couple of times, that I probably read it maybe, maybe a chapter every week or so. It's, I've got a bunch of books, and I, so I, I picked that one up. Anyway, this week I picked this book up, and one paragraph in the whole book, now I've read the book a couple of times, but one paragraph in this book grabbed a hold of my attention. I had no idea that this is the message I was going to preach this morning. And this paragraph grabbed my attention. A book I bought off of John Van Gelder maybe 15 years ago. This one paragraph grabbed my attention. It so grabbed my attention that I took my phone out, took a picture of the paragraph, and sent it to John. And he and I corresponded just a little bit of back and forth about this. It was... Speaking directly on point here this morning, it was a message preached by Evan Roberts during the Welsh Revival. He preached it so many times, this exact same message, that it became known as the Four Points. They just say he's going to preach his Four Points message. Not that there were our Four Points to it, but this is the specific message. He's preaching the Four Points message. Now, seeking the Lord and personal revival are the same thing. And his message was, if you want revival, then these four conditions must be observed. They are essential. For our sake this morning, we say, if you want to seek the Lord, these four conditions, this is what it is. And they cannot be just taken one at a time. They can't be picked and choose. They are essential, all four of these. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. So let me give you our second message. The first one was Amos' message from 2,800 years ago. This is his message from about a little over 100 years ago. Point number one, and I quote, Is there any sin in your past that you have not confessed to God? Get on your knees at once. Your past must be put away and yourselves cleansed. Let me read that again. Is there any sin in your past that you have not confessed to God? Get on your knees at once. 
your past must be put away and yourselves cleansed. Okay, do you want to live? Here's your first step. Deal with your past sin. The Holy Spirit has been given to bring it to mind. And as He brings it to mind, you confess it to God and let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you of that sin. Do you want to live? You want to seek the Lord? Is there any sin in your past that you have not confessed to God? Get on your knees at once. Your past must be put away and yourselves clean. Number two, and I quote, Is there anything in your life that is doubtful? Anything that you cannot decide whether it is good or evil? Away with it. There must be, not be a cloud between you and God. Have you forgiven everybody? Everybody. Everybody. Do not, if you do not expect, do not expect forgiveness if any of you, for any of your sins, you won't get it. If you do not give forgiveness, you will not get it. Is there anything in your life that is doubtful? Anything that you cannot decide whether it is good or evil? Away with it. There must not be a cloud between you and God. Have you forgiven everybody? If you want to live, here's your second step. Cast out all doubtful things, no matter what it is. Give up all your bitternesses. Give up all your grudges. Forgive those who have wronged you. Is there something doubtful in your life? Get rid of it. When I was first coming to grips with this, when John was here way, way back in the day, how do I describe this? In your house, you have stuff, right? In your closet, you have the clothes that you wear. In your drawers, in the kitchen, you have the stuff that, you, that you're working with. You have tools in your house that you use. This is all stuff that you're using all of the time. Then you also have storage, right? What's the stuff in the storage? The stuff in storage is the stuff that you might want someday. You're not using it today, but you might, by chance, want that in the future so you have it in storage. The sin, the thing that the Holy Spirit called on me about was not in my life. Things that I, that I was doing every day. Something I had, if you want to call it that, in storage. You understand what I mean? Something I might want to have later on. Something I might want to have access to later on. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. Hey, you know, and I know you're not using it now, but you've got the thought of using it later. And it's got to go. Now I could have said at that moment, hold on, I decide I'm going to keep that for a while. When I bowed to the Holy Spirit on that issue, if I could go back and find my notes, you know, you, I, could, I could take you right to the, I was writing a journal at that moment. This is the greatest day of my entire Christian life. You say, how could something that was in storage affect you that much? Because it's not letting the Holy Spirit have full control of your life. If there's anything doubtful in your life, if there's any bitterness, any grudge, anything that's something you have not forgiven, get it out of storage and throw it. It's got to go. 
if you want to live, those doubtful things have got to be taken care of. If there's anything in your life that is doubtful, anything that you cannot decide whether it's good or evil, away with it. There must not be a cloud between you and God. Have you forgiven everybody? Seek ye the Lord. Number three, and I quote, Do what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do. Obedience. Prompt, implicit, unquestioning obedience to the Holy Spirit. If you want to seek the Lord, there has to be, the word is this is a great word, implicit obedience. Right now, exactly as the Holy Spirit tells you, without debate, this is what I do. Whatever the Lord leads me to do is what I do without debate. Not partially, not mostly, implicitly, exactly. Do what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do. Obedience, prompt, implicit, unquestioning obedience to the Holy Spirit is step number three. Seek ye the Lord, step number four, and I quote, a public confession of Christ as your Savior. There's a vast difference between profession and confession. A public confession of Christ as your Savior. There is a vast difference between profession and confession. Here is step number four. A profession of faith is when you trusted Christ as your Savior. I trust that everybody in this room has done that. If you've not done that, then that's, where, that's your step. You need to trust Christ as your personal Savior. That is a profession of faith. That's not what is being talked about here. That has to take place, but that's not what's being talked about here. This is a confession of your faith, a public confession of your personal faith in Christ as your Savior. To let the people around you know that you are a Christian, that Christ is your Savior. A public confession, a public explanation, a public declaration that Christ is your Savior. Not that you are a conservative Republican, not your views concerning the political or the social problems of the day, but the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ and that He's the Savior of the world and that He is your personal Savior. A public confession that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Not the Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night. A public confession of Christ is your Savior. Amos's message was pretty pointed. Israel, you're in trouble, but there is hope. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. What does that mean? You can actually live, you can really live, let Christ live in you, you can live eternally. Evan Roberts, who was part of the Great Revival, gives us a good definition of seeking the Lord. Confess your sin, get rid of those doubtful things, obey the Spirit implicitly, and publicly proclaim Christ as your Savior. Now, History says that the children of Israel did not bother listening to Amos' message, and they suffered greatly because of it. 
Here we are 2,800 years later. And the question is, will you listen to what the Holy Spirit has been saying in your own heart this morning or not? Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Let's pray.